Okay, welcome back to another episode of the Mindful Hunter podcast. I'm your host, as always, Jay Nickel. Uh, episode 18 this week, and we got a really kind of special event. We're welcoming the first guest to the podcast. Super excited. This is my buddy, Simon. On Instagram, he goes by Backcountry Bloodline. We're going to do a little bit of background on him, and then we're going to kind of get into our joint experiences on spring bear, uh, primarily archery spring bear, and then just see where the conversation goes. And I just want to take a minute because I see everybody, the trend in podcasts seems to be to try and get these big guests on. And I just see everybody having the same guests on all the podcasts and it's kind of ridiculous. So I really wanted to stay away from that. And I think there's so much talent in our community already that has so many rich stories to tell and so much experience to share that I don't feel the need to like search out big Instagram influencers. Um, and I find this is a little bit more authentic. So my game plan is over the next kind of few months to have on more guests like Simon that are just like, just dudes trying to get it done, you know, work full-time jobs, got families at home and are trying to figure out, you know, how to find time and, and cash to pursue their passion any way they can. Cause I think personally, I find those stories a little bit more engaging. So as always, um, if you have any questions for either of us after the podcast, you can get a hold of me, Jay at mindfulhunter.com. Instagram is mindful underscore hunter, YouTube, mindful hunter. Like I said, you can hit up Simon, go give him a follow at backcountry bloodline, all one word on Instagram. And as always appreciate the likes, comments, shares, subscribes, and just engaging with the platform in any way you can. Okay. With all that shit out of the way, let's just dive into it. So, Simon, thanks, man. No problem, man. So, a little bit of context. We met, it's funny because we have a shitload in previous lives. You were an MC and I was a DJ. And yep. we we like have friends, like multiple mutual friends, but have never actually crossed paths before. And where we met was the Burnaby Lake Archery Range. Yeah. Which for people who don't know, because it's funny, I remember posting on Hunting BC and being like, hey, I just moved into Vancouver from the Valley. Where can I go shoot a bow? And everybody just started laughing at me like I'm an asshole. And there's a kick-ass archery range at Burnaby Lake uh, Rec Center. So for anybody in the lower mainland who's looking for a place to shoot, have you been shooting much lately? Not there because it's been so mucky lately, right? It turns into right. a mud pit this time of year. But I've got 30 meters at my work, so I've been doing lots of blind, blank bail just up close, six feet, you know. Um, yeah. I got to go dial in my sight tape, though. I just got a, a Fast Eddie XL three pin not too long ago, so I have to get my sight pin done up this okay. week or next week, getting crunch time here. Awesome. Yeah, yeah so that's how that's how we know each other. So, Simon, why don't I just kind of let you introduce yourself and maybe – Give us a little bit of background on how you came into hunting. Yeah, so I'm an adult onset hunter. I started hunting like four years ago or so. Um, my uncle did a lot of moose hunting back in the 70s. And uh, I'm, I'm a youngster. I'm born in 1990. I'm only 30. So um, I used to hear his stories kind of around the dinner table at family dinners and stuff. And I would say to my dad, like, well, when can we go hunting with Uncle Glenn? You know, that sounds pretty awesome. But his hunting days were over and my dad wasn't interested in hunting. I actually remember him vividly saying stuff like, well, why, why, why do you want to go out and kill an animal? 
And then we would go home and he'd make me chicken or beef or something like that. And as a 10 year old kid, I could see the disconnect with that, you know, and I thought there was something weird with that because I, I obviously heard my uncle talking about the meat aspect of it. And I was like, well, that's something you eat, you know? Um, so the fire was always kind of there, but I, I never got the opportunity to experience that as a, as a youngster. Um, and when I got older, I, um, I was a little bit of a hooligan as a youngster. So um, when I was 19, I got a, a lifetime firearms ban. So that's why I've leaned towards the, um, the bow side of things. All right. But, all right. Yeah. Um, I've, I've definitely turned my life around a lot since then, but, um, it, it just goes to show, I guess, how, what a, what a razor's edge you can walk in Canada with our, uh, with our gun laws, right? It's pretty easy to lose that privilege permanently. Um, but anyways, yeah, I got into weightlifting as a, as a, a young adult and, um, I was eating a lot of meat and protein and, uh, spending a lot of money eating healthier forms of meat instead of going to the grocery store. And I didn't like the whole factory farm aspect of things um but just seeing how much money was adding up you know going to the butcher shop and i, I thought man there these animals are walking around the province we live in one of the best places in the world to hunt you know let me i, I can't hunt with a rifle but maybe i can hunt with a bow i heard uh, uh cameron haynes on the joe rogan podcast talking about bow hunting and that kind of got the wheels turning i was like huh maybe that's a loophole and maybe that's a way i can go out and get some some good organic meat so i bought a compound bow and uh started practicing. So give me a bit of a time reference here. When would this would have been if you're 30 now? Um, so I started hunting, I guess about, about four years ago. So when okay. I was about 26. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I guess, I guess I bought a bow about four and a half years ago, maybe five years ago. I wanted to get very proficient with the bow before taking it out into the field. So I shot it for like, you know, year and a half straight before I, I guess maybe, maybe about a year. And was able to go out and, uh, and archery spring bear was actually my first hunt I ever participated in. And the hook was set. That yeah. Was, uh, yeah. So did you have like, walk me through the process? Cause I think this is something I don't think people realize in British Columbia, what a small archery community there is here. And mm-hmm. people are, might got buddies in the States who are always like, you know, curious why there isn't a big community. And I say, it's the same thing as muzzle loader because we don't have any archery, like really any archery only seasons, there's just no incentive to be an archery hunter in British Columbia. Whereas if you go in the States, all the elk seasons are archery only, like lots of the mule deer rut seasons are archery only. Like there's a lot of, like, if you want to access certain opportunities, the only way you can do it is through archery gear. Whereas in British Columbia, like deer is September 1st to 9th. Like who gives a shit? Like who wants to hunt deer the first week of September, like that there's, no- if you, if you even get an archery season in your unit, right. Where I go in three thirty three, yes. there's no archery season. It opens up yeah. right on the first. Yeah. So because of the sense. lack of a decent mentoring and coaching structure, I'm curious how, when you say, okay, I got my first compound. What did that actually look like? Did you just like do some research on YouTube? Uh, did you just walk into a shop? Were you able to find somebody to give you some guidance? Like, how did you get over that first hurdle? YouTube was definitely my number one resource. Uh, the first bow I ever bought was like, you know, off Craigslist used bow. Luckily the guy was, um, you know, he had uh, some knowledge. He, he, he set it to my draw length, you know, he kind of, 
he, he helped me get it, get it set up in, in that regards. But I mean, yeah, as far as form and everything, just looking at YouTube videos and shooting at the range and, and having other people look at me and say, Oh man, you're dropping your bow arm or whatever. And just, you know, any little, any little thing, you know, some people are shy to, to whatever, you know, critique your form or whatever, but I've always yeah. been, you know, whether it's at the gym or, or at the archery range, you know, it's like, if, if you notice me doing something, it's hard to, to know what you're doing wrong. Right. You know, unless you've got a mirror in front of you, which, I've never brought a mirror to the range. I do that at work. Actually, I'll shoot in front of the mirror sometimes. That's that's been a good resource. But I mean, uh, yeah, man, it's it's tough because you go to a shop around here. They're kind of like they don't want to put a whole lot of time into you unless they, you know, unless they. I, I think they get so many guys that come in and they want to shoot a bow. They think the idea of bow hunting is really cool. And then a week later, these guys are, you know, they're done with it. They're on to the next thing. Right. So they probably, you know, they, they assume you're one of those guys, but I mean, if you're going to be sending out someone out to shoot at live animals with the, with a bow, I think you have a responsibility to set them up, you know, with at least the knowledge to be able to, you know, tune their broadheads to their field tips, etc. you know, but uh, I, I remember going to local shops and, you know, saying I'm having this issue with tuning, you know, like my broadheads are hitting to the left of my field points. What do I do here? You know, I'm moving my rest. It's not helping. They didn't say a word about yoke tuning or anything. You know, they just said, ah, try this, this stiffer arrow, see if it works. You know, it's like, ah, oh, man, like it sucks. When I, you gotta I think go a down big the archery talk rabbit hole. Uh, yeah, a hundred percent. And I think one of the big problems in British Columbia, especially in Vancouver is our shops are heavily target archery focused like i remember the first bow i bought he told me there's no need to paper tune a bow and it's like okay well maybe if all you ever shoot is field points there's no need to paper tune a bow but if you expect to put a broadhead on your your arrow and have it land anywhere close to your field point you absolutely now there's other ways to get around it you can french tune or walk back tune like but you have to do some type of like tuning mechanism in order to tune the arrow to that bow. But target guys don't have to worry about that to a large degree. And that was one of my big frustrations. And you know, a bit of my story, like I wasn't truly satisfied until I finally just went and bought my own press because I just yeah. kept walking back in and be like, and I, I got to the point where I just had two settings on my site. Like this, is my field point settings. And these are my broadhead <laughs> settings because at least yeah. they would reliably hit three to four inches to the right. You know what I mean? But it was like, I physically couldn't even use the same, the same sight settings. Okay. So you, you buy a compound bow, you go through like a, a year of shooting or whatever. You practice your ass off. Now let's kind of walk through this first hunt. Like what, what, what goes on? You decide to go spring bear hunting. Where's that decision come from? There was a, well, that's, that's in, an interesting thing in itself because when I got into bow hunting originally, yeah, I posted on the hunting BC forum and I said, you know, this is what I'm, I'm planning to do. You know, I, I figure the obvious uh, uh, decision here is to, to go after a deer, right? For your first animal. Everyone said, man, good luck hunting. Uh, Cause I, where I was, where I was talking about hunting is black tail deer. And they were saying, yeah. you know, good, good luck hunting black tails with a bow, go shoot a bear with your bow and, and come back and talk to us. And I thought a bear with my bow that's a little bit crazy, but I mean, all right, let's, let's give this a try. Right. And so I, I went out and to places where I knew there were bears and, and stomped around the woods, you know, looking around with my bow for, you know, probably two weeks in total, you know, day and, and two day trips. I think actually my first 
hunting trip was uh, four days solo. Um, I just didn't have anybody to go with. Right. So I was yeah. like, well, I mean, I'm not going to go out for one day. Like let's go out for four or five days or whatever and see what we can do here. And I just went and camped and walked around the woods for four days. Didn't, I, I saw a couple does or something like that. I think I did see a, a, a little bear, a little small bear, but I would have shot him for sure. But the opportunity. Now, do you have a background in the woods? Like, did you do a bunch of camping growing up as a kid or? I I actually did quite a bit of backpacking when I was um, a teenager. So I I wasn't like completely new to it. You know, I knew how to strap a backpack on and and, and put equipment in there for a couple of days and and basically survive. You know, I I knew how to do that at least. So, I mean, I I didn't do a lot of like, uh, you know, I was. I, I grew up on Vancouver Island, so there is wildlife over there for sure. But I mean, I wasn't wasn't taking wildlife photography or pursuing them in any way, right? I just see them on the, on the trails sometimes. So that was the thing that kind of impressed me when we started to get to know each other. Because, and most people who listen to the podcast will know my background is in forestry. I was an engineer for fifteen years in BC, so I kind of I lived, and that was all before most of my hunting. So I kind of felt like I had a head start when it comes to like. I know logging roads and I know how to find bush and I know what crown land is. And I like, there's all this, like I, I had a head start on all this information. And when we first started talking and I won't say where you were going, but it was like, you're going out here and you're just, you're walking around, you're able to find a bear and put a bear down. And like, that really impressed me because I think it's just that. And I, what impressed me is that not a lot of people without like pretty hands-on mentorship get over that first hurdle which I think is a, that's the hardest part is like the zero to one of it all. Once you get over that hurdle yeah. and you start being comfortable in the woods and you start realizing like, and we're lucky in BC, we have a lot of public land and you start realizing where that public land is and how to get to it. And like what types of public land holds animals. I think there's less of a challenge than that. Get, like that first hurdle, I really think is the hardest part of it all. Oh, you're back. You cut out there okay, for a you, second. You froze too. So I was just, okay. how, what, how much did you get of what I said? Um, I, I missed about the last 12, 15 seconds. Anyways, I was just saying, I found it most impressive that you weren't able to get over that initial hurdle. And as a guy yeah. without like a big woodsmanship forest background, you were able to go out there and, and get it done. Okay. So we're at yeah. the... And I, I also think that's super wise. I decided to take a bear with my first bow kill as well. And when I, I was very strategic about that, I had an elk hunt planned for September and I specifically went spring bear hunting because I thought they're slower. They're kind of dumber. They're a predator. So they're going to stick around longer in most confrontational situations. And if everything is going to happen a little bit slower. So I, I, that was my, and it worked out really well. Like it did give me that opportunity to kind of go through the pressure and feel what it was like to have to come to full draw on an animal before like peak of the elk rut shits running elks bugling and like everything's just going crazy. Okay. So we go out for our first elk hunt. We spend or sorry, first bear hunt. You spend about two weeks going after bears, jump in there. Yeah. So I I was, uh, you know, I felt like I was spinning my wheels a little bit, you know, but uh, I I was still persisting after it. Um, But I did contact with a guy um, on HBC who I guess his thing, you know, he he's been hunting quite a while and he likes taking out new hunters for their first animal. 
And um, he had made a post saying, you know, if, if anyone wants to get out for, for a spring bear with me, that'd be cool, you know? So um, yeah, I, I connected with him and, and we set up a, a hunt. I, I made sure I could bring my, uh, my kid. I think he was eight years old at the time, but I, I wanted him to be a part of it because I mean, I, almost every hunt I had been on aside from that first four or five day hunt that I was on, he had been along with me, you know? So we were doing just like two day trips or something like that, camping out and trying to take it light. I guess that's in some ways why I was spinning my wheels in some ways, because I've got an eight year old kid with me. So I'm trying to take it light, but at the same time, you know, trying to push him. Um, but yeah, I went out with this guy, his name was Glenn. We went um, to a boat access only area and did a pretty easy hunt you know we just quadded fire roads and stuff until we we both connected with bears um i i saw a bear like 100 yards down the road walking to, straight down the road towards us he stopped the quad i just jumped off into a little uh, drainage ditch on the side of the road waited for the bear he, he walked all the way into 20 yards I was able to put a, an arrow through him quartering away. He died in like 11 yards. I, I was blown away at how quick he died. He, he went down a little hill and he just took his last breaths. And I was like, man, like I knew he was going to die obviously, but that was very lethal, you know? So, and, and it, right away I could see what people meant about like, yeah, hunt a bear first, you know, they're not as yeah. sketched out as, as, as deer, you know, it's a yeah. different ball game. So what was that like? And we don't have to go like, all crazy Donnie Vincent on us, but, but emotionally, cause I was kind of, I don't know if I would say I was surprised by my reaction. The first time I killed an animal, it just wasn't what I was expecting. What was that? What was that like for you? It was a big sense of accomplishment just because okay. it was, you know, it, it was like, uh, you know, quite, quite a long time. I mean, every time I go shoot my bow at the range, this is what I'm thinking about, right? You know, every time uh, I, I make a, a little gear purchase or whatever, you know, I can't, I can't even begin to talk about all the little bits and, and, and gadgets that I figured I needed for my first, yeah. uh, my first little bit hunting, you know, but like, this is what I'm thinking about, right? I got to go out and, and, and kill something and bring it home to fill the freezer. And it gets to the point, you know, where it's like your family is kind of thinking like, what is this guy doing out there? You know, he's, he's not going to kill anything out there. Yeah. He's just walking around the woods with a bow, you know? And it's like, I, I got to not only prove to myself that I can do this, but it's like, I got to prove to my family that it's like, I'm not just pissing money away on nothing here. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. but that's, that's the thing, you know, you make these initial investments and now it's, I can go out and, and fill the freezer every spring, you know, yeah. knock on wood here, but you know, yeah, there's always a little uh, bit of uh yeah. 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 That's, I had, a, I had a somewhat, I definitely had a similar experience as well. The first thing I actually killed was a doe on Haida Gwaii with my rifle. Yeah. Um, and I was like, I don't even know if this is something I'm going to be into. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. I, I was open to the possibility that I might, I might shoot this animal and whatever I did feel be like, I don't ever want to do this again. Um, and yeah. it wasn't like that. And people always ask me like, like what it is like. And I always say it's like, it's a combination of like, I think a sense of accomplishment, like you said, is a really kind of nuanced way to explain it. And then I always use the word somber because it's like, even when I've had like super intense kills that I 
killed myself trying to execute. There's moments of excitement, but they come kind of later on. And there's always this like, kind of like, there's a moment of gravity and like a, yep, something is dead now because of something I did. And it like kind of takes a second to like sit with that. And then the kind of wave of excitement and like, yeah, that was cool. kind of starts to wash over me, but there's always a second or two first where it's like, even sometimes then like I'll start shaking a little bit or something. Like it's a bit weird, the physical reaction you have. I think the bow is different too. And I don't want to downgrade rifle hunting. I like to rifle hunt. I think it's a great discipline. I have always felt more connected to a bow kill though. Like I just feel there's something different about being in that for most people sub 40 yards. And I just feel like it's a more tangible connection between the bow and the arrow and, and the kill. I've always felt just closer to it, I guess. I don't even know if that's a good explanation, but it's always felt a little no, bit different than a rifle kill. It's much more intimate. Like there are close range rifle kills, but typically you're shooting something from long range. By the time you get to it, it's well expired. You know, yeah. like with my, my first bear was a, a bit of a unique experience because like I said, he didn't go very far. I was able to walk over and watch him take his last breaths, you know? So as I'm feeling that accomplishment, you know, and it's like, yes, I did this. I'm watching him expire and it's like, huh? Yes. And like you said, that's because of me, you know, that's not, I didn't just walk up and he's dead. You know, I'm watching his life leave his body because of actions that I took, you know? So there's that heavy aspect of it as well. And it's strange to kind of put that into words for people that, you know, they've never hunted. They don't understand that because when you set a PR in the gym, you know, it's like nothing but accomplishment, right? Nothing died for that. Yes. But when, when, you, when you accomplish something that you've set out to do in, in the hunting world, you know, something has to die for that. And it's, yeah. you know, I, ideally it's an animal that's at the end of its life and you can feel very proud about that, that, you know, this animal, if I wouldn't have come along, it would have had a nasty winter here and it would have died slowly, you know, and, and, and yes, I killed it, but it's, you know, it's the best death that the thing ever could have asked for. Right. So, I mean, yeah. there's the accomplishment in the sense of that as well, but it's yeah, an incredibly nuanced feeling and hard to explain to people that have never done it before. Yeah, I totally agree. So walk me through a little, and I, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but walk me through a little yep. bit of the journey with your boy. Cause I find this kind of really interesting and I know you've you have made things intentionally more difficult on yourself because of what of a priority it was that he play kind of an integral role in this journey. So I kind of love, and I, and I think it's, I think it's very admirable and my daughter's only five right now, so she can't really come with me yet, but I'm kind of watching what you're doing from afar and kind of taking notes on it. So kind of walk me through how that I saw you made that cool post the other day, which was like a, it's almost like a transformation pick, but like, the kind of transformation from walking with him four years ago to walking with him now. So yeah, walk me through that a little bit. Yeah. Well, I mean, when I, when I first got served with my firearms ban, he was just a little baby, you know, just brand new. And I remember the first thing I thought was like, okay, like I don't care about myself, you know, I I don't care, but I mean, this kind of means if I ever wanted to take my son hunting or something like that, I can't do that. So, I mean, yeah. that's why when I did hear, you know, about, about bow hunting and I was like, huh, okay, well, like maybe I can still take my son hunting, you know, that's, I thought that would be a great bonding experience for the two of us, you know? So, um, 
yeah, I've, I've always tried to keep him a big part of, of um, my hunting experience. He's been with me on two bear kills. He helped me pack one out. Um, he packed out a, a full rack of ribs, both tenderloins, both back straps, all in one load. Little beast. He was like eight years old. I guess he was nine at that time. Um, but yeah, yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a beast. He can definitely um, let me know when he's, he's tired and, and hungry and stuff out there, you know, because... I, I, I do definitely make it easier because he's young, but at the same time, it's like, you know, I'm, we're not hunting from the truck, you know, we're hunting with backpacks, we're, we're hiking, you know, I mean, um, he's, he's definitely tougher than, than a lot of adults I've met at this point. But uh, that's, yeah, no, I, he, I think there's a lot of times right now where he's like, you know, oh man, hunting again, you know, but I think he'll really appreciate it when he's older. I don't push him too hard anymore. Like at first it was really important for him to, to come along. He helped me gut my first bear. You know, he was right in there pulling out intestines and everything. I was, I, at first I was a little bit hesitant. I was like, I don't know if he's ready for all that. But once I saw him, you know, get involved with processing meat and everything like that, it's like, Oh no, this is far more natural for a kid right. to walk to the grocery store and carry home. You know, he's never once told me, like, you know, got excited about we're going to get groceries. But when I've got a bear down and it's like, okay, let's let's go. We're going to go track them and process them. All of a sudden, you know, he loses track of time. He thinks 10 minutes have gone by. It's been an hour and a half, you know. Uh, yeah, it's, it's crazy watching the light come on. It's like, okay, this is what we're meant to do as a species. Yeah. So what kind of tips or lessons learned would you pass on to other people who have youngins that they want to get into this to the discipline don't burn them out um like keep in mind like there's definitely times where i've got caught up in the chase you know and it's like okay no we're hunting here like yes i've got a kid with me but i mean we're hunting and it's like no you always have to keep in mind like this kid's with you and if they're not having a good time they're not gonna enjoy hunting you know so there's definitely been times where at the end of the day you know, he, he, he definitely wished he didn't come with me, but I mean, there's other times where it's like, Oh no, like he had a blast, you know, and he came and he had all these stories for his friends and stuff. So, I mean, he sees that the, the hard work is worth it, you know, and I mean, it's definitely teaching him about work ethic and, and, you know, I mean, that's, that's one thing I appreciate about all the backpacking I did as a kid. It taught me to just put my head down and just grind, you know, grind it out. It, it, you're going to feel accomplished after type two fun, right? Like if you just endure it right now, afterwards, you, you get, you got this great experience, you know, and that's what counts at the end of the road. When, when you're laying in your deathbed, you know, it's the experiences you had is all you, all you really have left. hundred percent. Okay. So let's jump back into bear hunting. Now was your second bear that bit of a shit show bear? Um, no, that was my third bear. The one with the, the, the Shika Western. Yeah. Yeah. Which if you're comfortable, that was, that was I would like to talk about that, but let's, what, yep. um, let's go in order. How'd your second one go down? Yep. Um, my second bear, um, me and my son had gone out May long weekend, um, morel hunting and, and, and looking for bears. And, uh, we saw a lot of sign. Um, so like from what I was seeing, I was like, okay, so in this spot, I think the first couple weeks of May is the best, you know, first week, first and then the second week are going to be the hot spots. 
Um, but I still wanted to persist throughout the season. I think we might have gone out a couple more times and definitely went out the last weekend of spring there, there, which is, you know, the end of June, long days, you know, <laughs> I think it was like, I think it was May or June 22nd when I ended up shooting that bear. So the day after okay. summer solstice, longest, second longest day of the year or whatever. Right. And, uh, I was a bit of an idiot at the time and I would get up at first light to go hunt bears. Yeah. So, <laughs> Yeah, so we backpacked in um, not too far, a couple kilometers up to the top of this burn. And um, I would kind of hunt around camp, uh, you know, let him sleep in the mornings. And then uh, in the afternoon, we just pounded around the burn and, and you know, more more still hunting, kind of, you know, listening, uh, listening, watching. And at one point, actually, we were, we were eating lunch and uh, I heard, you know, crunching through the timber. And I was like, huh, that, that sounds like something walking through the timber. And he says, yeah, yeah. And he just keeps talking away about whatever. I say, no, 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 just wait here. I'll be right back. And I go into the timber and then I can hear, <laughs> I'm like, okay, that's not a deer. That's a bear. <laughs> so I, I had heard uh, Snyder talk about on, on one of his podcasts about huffing at a bear to, to get it to come out. So I said, I'm going to try this. So I gave it one good. <laughs> And uh, I, I see a flash of reddish brown fur behind two trees. And I'm like, huh, that's not black. Like, I should have drawn back right when I saw fur and then figured it out when I when it came out, right? But the color of it kind of threw me off, even though I know there's color phase bears up there. I just yeah. I was expecting a black bear, right? Um, but it comes out and it's a, a nice rusty red bear. You know, I can see the scars all over his face. He was clearly a boar. It was, it was June. So he's running, you know, he's looking for a female bear or whoever huffed at him. You know, if it's a male bear, he wanted to scrap, he's looking, you know, and he's 15, 16 yards away and he's walking straight towards me. Um, and so I'm, my eyes just go big as saucers. I draw my bow back and he sees that movement and I see his eyes get even bigger than mine. The fear just went into it. Like he went from ready to scrap to just, Oh no. And he was out. So How far away at this point even, do you think he is? Yeah, 13 yards or so. He was, oh. he was close and okay, walking okay. straight towards me. So it, it would have been, you know, frontal shot. I was putting my pin, you know, right there on his clavicle and yeah, yeah. he went out. And so that kind of, um, that gave us the fuel we needed. I went back, told my son, this, this is what just happened. You know, we got to find this guy. Cause that was a nice bear, nice big bear. And so he got real excited and, um, yeah, so we hunted the rest of the day and then we went and, uh, back to camp and had dinner around seven. And, uh, I, I, I don't even think I really ate. I ate a little bit and I said, you know what, Blake, just hang out here. I, I had my, we had our, um, my girlfriend was with, with us. So uh, okay. she hung out with him and I just went out and, and took a poke around. I said, you know what, it's evening time. I'm going to try and scare up a bear here a hundred yards away from camp. I, I, um, I just thought to myself, I saw some claw marks on a tree and for whatever reason, I was like, I'm just going to try blind blowing this, uh, this predator call. You know, I don't know how many times I've done that, you know, just to see in lots of bear sign and let's try calling. <laughs> Nothing happens 99% of the time. Right. And this time I, I see a bear pop up like 40 yards away from me out of a little depression, start running right towards me to he's running to the Christmas trees just to the right of me. And I'm thinking, man, if he gets in there, he's going to come out like three yards away from me. That's not ideal. So I crashed <laughs> down this little hill and he definitely heard that. And um, I went back over to the edge of the timber and I'm glassing. I can't find him. I'm glassing. And I see at the top of the hill, there he is sitting on his back legs like a dog, just looking down the hill. 
and he huffed at me so loud. I've, I've heard bears huff before, but he like yell huffed. I don't know if you've ever heard that, but it was like a projection from 83 meters, just, you know, down the hill. I felt it hit me in the chest and I was like, okay, it's on here. Let's see if I can bring him back in. And so I started blowing on the call and he right away, it's like, he was so mad. And then he forgot all about it. And he's like, oh no, I'm hungry. And he starts running down. And he hits the, uh, the Christmas trees again, where he was running the first time. And I, I, uh, I quickly grabbed my range finder. I ranged a couple, uh, stumps that were just up on the top of the hill there, just yeah. so I had some points of reference. And I hit that call again. Cause one thing I noticed, like I would hit the call and I would stop, clip my release in or whatever. And he would just forget like everything that was going on and just start walking away the other direction. And I was like, well, what the hell? So I'm going to have to continuously call this thing. Right. Yeah. So I just was hammering away on it, hammering away. Finally, he pops out of the Christmas trees. He's 30 meters away. So I drew back and let her fly. Um, I, I think what happened there, I was, I was, I had my pin on his, on, he was quartering towards me. So I had my pin like right behind his shoulder to go right through the lungs. But I think I was looking at his face and kind of watching his reaction and his demeanor because he's 30 yards away from me, whatever, 30 meters away. And so I'm watching his face. And when I let the arrow fly, I saw it went to the right of where I was aiming. You know, it, it okay. kind of it skirted that shoulder and it went right into his throat. I was like, oh, no, that's not a good hit. And he ran into the Christmas trees. And uh, so I was like, oh, no, it's thick in here, man. Like it's it's uh, that was logged about 15 years ago. So it's pretty thick in there. Um yeah. So that was a pretty crazy tracking job. At first it was just little pin drops and stuff. It was hard to even find the pin, the, the blood trail. But once I got on it, like he was, it, it hit his carotid, it hit his, uh, um, uh, you know, all his arteries and his neck hit his windpipe and everything. So he was spitting blood out quite a bit. Once the trail opened up, you know, and uh, once the terrain opened up as well, cause my, my son, I had him like, you know, quite a bit behind me. He did want to track with me, but I didn't want him leading the way on a, on a on right. an air tracking job, not knowing how my hit was. Right. So I had him quite a ways behind me. I'm following the blood. And, uh, and once the terrain opened up and it was like obvious, you know, it's like somebody's pouring a milk jug out on the ground. I said, well, have at her kid. And he found him in like 20 seconds. You know, it was unreal how quick I'm, I'm crawling around trying to find granted I was in the thick stuff and you know, I, I let him go when things opened up, but man, he was like a little natural. He's got way better, uh, color vision for blood than I do. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. He, he died in a real shithole though. So we had to quarter him up there and, uh, and pack him out. But yeah, that was cool. I, I asked my kid like, Hey, can you handle, um, the tenderloins, you know, and, and your, and your gear. Cause he's got his camp gear with him too. Right. Right. And he, and he says, well, what if I carry my sleeping bag like this and then I can put ribs in too, in the back straps. And I'm like, well, like, so you want to carry more? Um, all right. You know, other, yeah. otherwise I'm carrying this sucker out. And he was a big bear, man. That was a, um, that was a Pope and young bear. So he was 18 and 14 sixteenths. So he was a decent sized bear and pretty, you know, he had, big shoulders on him and everything. My last bear was a nice, easy hollow, but that guy didn't make it easy. Yeah. That's <laughs> awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Man. What a good story. Um, and I think we'll get into some hunt, some tips later, but uh, you kind of touched on something there that I think it'd be good to talk about a little bit. You talked about getting up early in the morning. Um, mm. I'm assuming you're going to tell me that since then you, you kind of picked up that that's not the ideal time to hunt bears. 
I mean, you can definitely kill bears in the morning. It's not like you're not going to kill bears in the morning, but in my experience, they are definitely more active in the evening in the spring. Um, yeah. Yeah. I've, I've just definitely noticed like, I mean, and, and if you do see bears in the morning, they tend to be smaller bears or sows in my experience, at least like when I'm seeing good boars, it's evening time. Yeah. I would concur. My, my good buddy Lander who runs primitive outfitting doesn't even let his guys go out before three 30 or four yeah. because he's like, you're just going to wreck it. You're going to blow scents all over the place and wherever they were going to be this afternoon. Now they're not going to be there. So in the end, he's well, it also, guiding. Also, you just burn yourself out. The days are so long, right? Like I yeah. mean that day in particular, yeah, I shot that bear at about seven, just after seven or whatever. We found him at about nine 30. So, I mean, I had been at it since like five that morning. That's a long day, man. Yeah, man. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I definitely think there's something to be said there. You're definitely more efficient bear hunting um, in the evenings. Okay, let's walk mm-hmm. through this Western bear, if you're comfortable, because yeah. I think there's some good yeah, yeah. lessons to be learned there for for people. For sure. Yeah, so that one, um, that was this last spring. That was like when, when, when COVID was the big news. Everyone on the hunting uh, forums, you know, all the rural guys were saying, don't you dare come hunt bears in our community, you know? (laughs) And uh, I mean, I was thinking, come on, like if you're really scared of someone driving through, I'm not going to your community to hunt, you know, I'm going into the mountains, you know, I'll go solo. I don't care. You know, I'll go, I'm backpacking. I'm not getting gas, you know, I'll go with a full tank of gas, whatever. I, I, I fully stocked up. I went in solo. My plans were to go for, I think, three or four days and, and, uh, you know, look for some morels in the morning and, and hunt bears in the evening, basically. Um, so I, I loaded up my backpack for four days and start hiking in. And so where I go, the first half hour of the hike, it's just, you know, alders and stuff like that. It's pretty dark and damp. There's nothing there. But once you get about half an hour into the hike, everything opens up and it's nice ponderosas and Douglas firs. It's all been burned. Uh, it was struck by lightning about, you know, it was logged like 15, 16 years ago. And then it was struck by lightning not long after that. So it was burned and it's still, it's still got obviously good nutrients in the soil. The muleys like it there. The bears like it. The grouse love it. Um, so about 30 minutes up is where I'm expecting to start seeing bears. I'm just moving before that. Um, and so I got, I got to the beginning of the burn 30 minutes in and I hiked about another 10 minutes and I saw a pair of lady, uh, uh, those black shop gloves in the middle of the road. And I looked and I was like, ah, somebody shot something here. I'll, I'll grab those on the way out. And uh, just kind of taking a mental note, I, I do dumb stuff, grab all the garbage and well, it's not dumb, I guess, but grab whatever garbage I see on the way out and stuff. If some, it's an old fire road. So sometimes you'll find uh, find trash on there or whatever. But so I was just looking at those gloves and all of a sudden I hear, <laughs> I was like, what that? What's that? And I look over, there's a Douglas fir in it and there's a bear in it. And I guess that was it climbing up the tree. So I'm like, ha, huh, okay. That's not a big bear, but I mean, bird in the hand is better than two in the bush. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I'm thinking to myself, do I want to shoot this bear? I mean, that ends my hunt right now, but at the same time I might stomp around here for three, four days and not see anything. Plus we got two bear tags in BC. It's true. And I'm a big proponent of earning my deer in the fall. I don't care what other people do, but I mean, I personally do my best to kill a bear in the spring. And then I feel like I've earned my deer hunting in the fall, you know? Um, I don't care if it's a huge bear, you know, small bears eat deer too. Bears are predators. Um, 
they're edible predators. So, I mean, if I can do a little bit of predator management in my area, as well as fill the freezer with some burgers, I'm not opposed to shooting a small bear with my first tag. I think that's a great point to make. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I hear so many guys talking about, you know, holding out for a seven footer with their first tag and stuff. And it's like, you do realize we get two tags here. You know, it's nice to shoot a seven foot bear, but you get two tags. You can shoot one and save some deer with your first tag and, and then hold out for a big one with your second. That's just me though. Um, so anyways, I'm looking at this bear and I'm thinking, I mean, most likely it's, it's, it's obviously a young boar or a sow. So I don't want to be quick and, and shoot it and then have some, some little fur balls run out. Right. So I, I said to myself, I'll watch it for a little while and it's not going anywhere. It's right up in this tree. It's 20 yards away from me. You know, I can, I can scare it back up if I want. Um, so I watched it for a while, you know, ranged it a couple times of watching it, you know, in, in 6X magnification, popping its jaws at me and drooling buckets of drool pouring out of its mouth which at at the time i did think was a little bit weird like i'd never seen a bear just drooling that much you know like almost like a faucet right and um i didn't think too much of it though i was just like ah, it's pissed off whatever and so finally i said ah it's enough waiting i'm I'm gonna shoot this bear i'm gonna you know it's an easy pack out here whatever so i drew back it's it's on the tree like this you know like that broadside and so I put my pin, you know, right there and, uh, it started climbing down the tree. So I waited for it to stop. And I guess I didn't notice that it, it, it kind of stopped like this with its arm in front of yep, the, yep. The, the vitals, but I let it rip and it busted right through that humerus and went into its lung, into its spine. And it just dropped out of the tree, uh, hit the ground, you know, 15 feet out of the tree, hit its head and it just laid there, you know, just didn't move at all. And I was like, okay, you know, like, I've seen bears die pretty quick off arrows, but that was damn quick, you know? And I should have, I should have knocked another arrow just on principle, right? Right away. But I didn't, um, I just, I just watched it for a minute and then all of a sudden it jumps up and tries to walk away, you know, on, on three wheels. And I'm thinking, Oh man, better get another arrow into it. So I knock another arrow, draw back. I let another one go. I think it was even walking while I let it go, but that, that one went through, um, uh, it, it, it was quartering away. It broke a rib, sliced like its whole side open, went out the other side. Um, it jumped over a log, kind of got hung up. Um, I shot at it again. That shot actually missed and it was like 12 yards away. So that just shows you, you know, when you're drilling stuff at, at 60 meters at the range, you know, it doesn't mean anything when you got adrenaline going and, and yeah. you know, animals moving around, you're aiming at it. It's a different ball game. Um, so then, then it went around a tree and it's facing me. It's at seven yards now, very close. Um, and I was, I was just in autopilot, just trying to get arrows into it, you know, make it lie down. Uh, so I drew back, um, put my pin just right, right frontal. It's kind of sitting facing me like that. And I put another one just frontal right through the thing end to end. Um, and then it kind of went and lied down in a bush and, and did its little moan. And I figured, okay, it, it's dead now. I'll give it 15 minutes. I'll, and then I'll process it. So I, I waited 15 minutes, um, went over and it, it, you know, it wasn't dead yet. I only oh had one arrow. God. Left. Yeah. And I've got one arrow left and I'm thinking, man, like I may need this if I'm processing it and another 
you know, pissed off sure. bear comes along or whatever, you know, I need at least one line of defense here. I got no more arrows in the car, which was a valuable lesson to learn. Now I'll always yep. keep some backup arrows. But um, yeah, so I backed out and, and dropped all my gear back off at the vehicle, said, I'll just come back and process this thing and, and pack it out. Um, came back, it was dead, thankfully. Um, and yeah, this time, actually, this is one thing that I, I learned with the other bear before, um, that my second bear, we hadn't taken much time to take field photos. You know, we just kind of, we took a couple quick photos and then I cut it up and that was that. And then like my only good photo of that bear was it halfway quartered up with intestines in the background and stuff. And I'm like, this is my best representation of this bear, but it's not a photo that I can you know show people really, or, yeah, yeah. you know? So I, I said to myself this time, I'm definitely taking the time to take some good photos and get a good representation of this animal because once it's cut up, you know, yeah, you can get it taxidermy, but I mean, there's something to be said for a good field photo that brings you right back to that moment, you know? So yeah, I, yeah, I, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's something I think a lot of people don't stress very much, but I mean, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's not crucial. I mean, it's not going to make or break your hunt necessarily, but it is really nice to be able to look back at photos and like, Oh yeah, I remember I was wearing that, you know, that was the gear I had with me. You know, I remember that hunt. It's, it's crazy what the mind can do after a while. I mean, that was another interesting thing, watching it on GoPro after and it's like, ha, that doesn't necessarily sync up with what I remember happening. But I mean, adrenaline is a hell of a drug. (laughs) And that's an interesting point because I think, and I've seen the footage and we've talked about this hunt before. And I, I think you did, once you initiated the chain of events, I think all of your reactions were appropriate. I don't really see much of an opportunity to have done anything different. Maybe the one miss I could maybe, maybe say, okay, well don't miss that one. But even that, you know, is a little bit subjective, but now that you've had a chance to like sit with it, watch the footage, if you're going right from step one. And I want to make one note about when you said his arm might've been lower. I don't think people understand what it's like to shoot a black bear. You are literally looking into a hole of light. Like, yeah, there's no, there's a rifle no scope. Of, of fur that you can there's, there's no shadow line on their on their shoulder blade. Like it's it sucks light in. Like you can't see mm-hmm. anything. And in fact, even like, and I think this is why so many people have problems putting bears down, is that they just put their scope or their pin in the black. And it's like yeah. that's a giant area. So I, you know, for people listening, take it with a grain of salt because it would be incredibly hard to tell exactly where that arm was positioned in that particular situation. But in in regards to anything else, is there anything you would have done differently or takeaways that moving forward, you'd be, you're like, next time I would do X, Y, Z. Yeah. That was a valuable lesson to, as soon as you let an arrow go, knock another one, no matter what, you know, it's like shooting a rifle, right? You're always going to rack another round right away. So yep. it's, it's obvious with a bow, you should be knocking another arrow immediately instead of just standing there and looking and okay, you know, you got to get ready for action and be prepared to 
to continue, you know, always have backup arrows. You know, I mean, sometimes I'll see these guys going into backpack hunts with a, a tube of a dozen extra arrows. And it's like, how unconfident in your shot are you? But that, that's not the case. You know, it's like, you, you need right. to be ready if you're going in there, you know, if you're hunting from the truck, it's a different story. Right. But I mean, it's not like I was going way in there, but at the same time, it's nice to have a, you know, a few extra arrows with you. I was lucky. I had at least a five arrow quiver because the year before I was hunting with a four arrow quiver. So I would have been empty there. Yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> I think that's a very valuable point. And even to the point, don't ask yourself the question, how many arrows do I need to put an animal animal down? But like after I, I think that was really wise insight that after you put the animal down there, there was still the potential to need more arrows. And so mm. I think that's really wise as well, because I don't think a lot of people are thinking that far ahead. Like, why would I ever need a half a dozen arrows to kill something? But it's like, as a bow hunter, that's also our primary, unless you've got some bear spray with you, that's our primary method of defense. So I think it's also important to think like about the whole hunt and not even just necessarily the kill per se. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's, let's take it back here. Um, what are some, and I want to preface here, like neither me or Simon are expert hunters. Both of us, I would say are like intermediate. We know enough to get it done. And I think learning is very important to both of us. So we've spent a lot of time kind of studying other people and learning as much as we can, but I don't want to come off on this podcast. Like we're some bear hunting experts that you know, know everything about bear hunting. That's not the case at all. But sometimes I think hearing from guys like us is almost more valuable because we're in the mix. We understand what it's like to kind of not know what to do and then just figure out enough to like go out and get it done. Where I think sometimes you talk to a guy who's been killing bears for 20 years and he, he doesn't, he, he takes so much for granted and he does so much unconsciously that he even has a hard time articulating it because he doesn't think about it anymore because it's so natural for him. So given that, I'm sure there's, I mean, I know I've gotten lots of messages from guys this year who are just getting into it. Spring bear hunting is probably going to be their first hunt. What are some tips you would give these guys who are going out there to get after it? You know, maybe for the first or second time. Yeah. So South facing slopes for sure. Reason okay. being, obviously they get more sunlight, more, uh, more grass growth. Um, if you can find, you know, especially burned areas, I mean, they've just got that much more nutrients in the soil, everything that grows out of them, whether it's, you know, mushrooms or, or grass, you know, these animals, they know where to get nutrients from, you know, where the most nutrient dense places is. And yes, bears will just eat whatever grass, but you know, the, the, the king of the mountain is going to be eating the best grass. You know, that the, the bears that you find in those other areas where the grass is kind of dried out or whatever, those are going to be subordinate bears that you, you know, what I'm not a trophy hunter, but ideally, you know, I'd like to, to kill a, a you know, a, a mature male that's out yeah. there, you know, killing deer, killing cubs, whatever. Right. Then I feel like I'm doing something other than just eating the animal. Right. So, um, yeah, South slopes burned particularly. Um, I like still hunting a lot. I mean, it's easy to kill a bear from your truck. You know, you can drive around logging roads until you see one and, and, and kill one. But I mean, I like getting in there and participating in, in their environment, you know, 
being in their in their bedroom you know tricking them uh yeah whether it's huffing at them or calling them with a you know a distress call or you know it's cool to talk to bears too that's another it's like elk hunting it can be at least you know i mean uh yeah you have that aspect like especially yeah during the rut you know when things really get hectic with them i've always wanted to try um there's that noise they make when before they're gonna fight they call it pulsing where they go kind of i don't know if you've heard that one but they kind of go in and out with it that's 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 one i've always wanted to just kind of see what they how they react if i make that noise at them yep might might not go over so well but (laughs) i mean it's it's cool experimenting with them could because they're not so you know like sometimes elk you might call at them with a perfect cow call or whatever and they just get scared and they run away you know 100 bears are just so much more curious what the hell is that over there making that noise you know and they're a predator you can't undersell that and it's not going to work every time but their first instinct is not to run whereas Mm -hmm. any other prey-based animal in order to get them to stick around, you have to get them to do something against their instinct. And I think exactly. with a bear, you have instinct on your side. Like their instinct mm-hmm. is fuck you. It's yeah. not, oh my God, and running away. The one note I'll make about the calling is just recognize if you're in a grizzly rich area. Because if mm-hmm. you are, I would not recommend the use of a predator call. But there's lots of places to hunt bears that's not rich in, in grizzly bears. And then even if there's a chance, just recognize that the bear that comes out might not be the bear you want to come out and make sure you're in a situation because they, they will come around you and get your, your win. So make sure you're in a situation where you have good 360 visibility. If you're going to employ yeah. those tactics, I think too, a couple things I would add that are a little, that were counterintuitive for me because I'm kind of like a mountain hunter and I had to kind of fight some of my mountain hunting urges. I liked what you mentioned about early spring. I think they're not as active in those first few weeks, but they're more constrained because there's more yes. snow on the mountains. And I think there's a real golden time of bear hunting when there's still a lot of snow because the only places they're going to be are the greened up areas for the, precisely mm-hmm. the reasons you mentioned. They got to eat. And so like, edges of fields and and i should say meadows because field would would you know conjure images of like farmers fields and private property but even like meadows edges of meadows train tracks are fantastic um early on i can think the south facing slopes are going to get more sun avalanche shoots are another one they're going to open up first but like for those early season weeks i would really you're not, don't charge up to the top of the mountain because it's mm-hmm. still going to be under the snow. Think about that bottom third of the mountain, you know, creek beds, railroad tracks, edges of meadows, avalanche shoots, fire anything. Roads. Fire roads that have been seeded with clover, grass, oh, anything like that. Beautiful. Yeah. And they always have the one ditch line that's going to melt first. Yep. And I think for beginner hunters, walking roads is a fantastic, you're going to feel a little bit safer. You're going to get a little bit more notice. Like you're going to see that bear. You're not going to feel like you're in the trees and the bears right on top of you. I think, I think walking roads, I've taken my mountain bike out. I think that's another way. Cause it's pretty quiet. That's, that's a great way. Yeah. 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 So I think those are, I'm trying to think of other, we've already recommended and I, I don't, I can't stress this enough. I think spring bear 
is a fantastic first archery hunt for all the reasons. And the other thing that we can't kind of oversell is the lack of pressure this year because of no Americans. I know a lot of the areas we hunt in the lower mainland aren't heavily guided areas, but all of the, the entire province is going to see less pressure again this year because there's no Americans allowed to come in and go guided hunts. And I would like to, I'd like to support your predator based tip that you gave earlier. I think that puts even more of a responsibility on us as BC hunters to like get out there and knock some bears down. Like, we have a thriving black bear population in British Columbia and without hunter management and population control, it gets way out of whack. Um, and I, 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 I couldn't agree more that it's our responsibility to get out there and go bear hunting. And like you listen, I'm not going to tell other hunters what to do. As long as what you're doing is legal, I support it. However, if you ask me, I think it's a responsible thing to do is to try and get out there and, and knock the numbers down in the spring, um, especially because it's uh, almost more than any other wild game resource in British Columbia. It's clearly healthy and renewable. There's a lot of guys that turn their nose up at bear hunting, but then complain that they aren't seeing any deer in the fall. Yeah. So Well, and tr- the other thing that I hear all the time is the meat, and I just lose my mind. And if you – I was just reading Daniel Boone's biography – and if you go back in the 1750s, that was the bear was the meat, preferred right? prime. It was the, that was what they ate. Yeah. The year they only killed for the hides, for clothes and shit. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I've never had a lot of fishy bears. I've never, I spent a lot of time and lived on Vancouver Island for years, but I didn't hunt back then. And I can totally understand fishy bear. And yes, I'm not advocating eating bear who are eating rotting salmon in the fall. That's not what I'm saying. But all the bear that I have killed in the spring have been delicious. And I even did an experiment two Christmases ago. I made venison osabuco and bear osabuco. And I made it in the sous vide. I used the exact same spices, the exact same sauces. I served them both on risotto and served this to my family for dinner, like big extended family, not hunters by any stretch of the imagination. And the consensus around the table was that the bear was the better meat. Yeah. Yeah. When people tell me that they don't like bear meat or bear meat's no good, that just tells me that they can't cook basically. I mean, you can make bear taste amazing and it's not like you have to dope it up like crazy. I mean, I make burgers with just straight bear and it's amazing. Yeah. I like making bear sausage. I like it in the slow cooker. I'll take stew chunks, Mm -hmm. like stew. uh, Yeah. Just little one inch cubes. And like, I'm talking quick and dirty. Like I'll go to the grocery store and get those little clubhouse they're like little liquid rub packets with a little twisty top yes. on them. And they're like a squeeze yeah. pack. And I just squeeze a package of that in a slow cooker, cook that for eight hours. And like, I'm eating that thing for three days just on rice and potatoes. And it's, it's delicious. My, my daughter, she's five. Her favorite meat is bear sausage. Yeah. My, my son's favorite is bear shanks. Yeah. I think it, I've always said it almost, it's much redder. I don't know if it has a higher iron content or what it's for, but I do find it almost has a sweet taste to it compared to like a venison or an elk. I find they're so variable. Like whenever someone says bear tastes like this, or what does bear taste like? It's like, well, I can tell you what a bear tastes like, but the next bear I kill might taste totally different. You know I mean? It's, it's like you could have identical um, meat care 
And I mean, just depending on what they're eating, because I mean, you eat five deer, they've been eating very similar food. They're going to taste very similar, you know, but five yeah. different bears, who knows what they've been eating, you know, like, I mean, I, I caught a little bit of flack from some dudes for, for just keeping and shooting that, that last bear, you know, putting arrow after arrow in it. They were saying, well, you, you just pump that thing full of adrenaline. It's going to taste awful. Now that was the best tasting bear I've ever eaten, you know? So, I mean, I don't put a lot of stock into that. I've heard that a lot before, you know, the adrenaline's going to make them gamey and stuff like that, but it doesn't match my experience. Yeah, I would agree. Now, just, for responsibility's sake, I will mention bear have the potential to carry trichinosis, which is widely carried in pork, although not really anymore. And I believe it's 165 degrees they recommend cooking your and I should, and I think, I should go I look think, this I think, up. I think that is exactly why a lot of people say bear is no good because they read that 165. And so they cook the hell out of it. They make shoe leather out of their bear. I've been to barbecue for guys do a bear roast. No, I do my bear at 145, 150. There's no problem. As long as you sustain the temperature for a certain That's the key. And I I heard this like a meat scientist on meat eater talk to, but he's like, listen, if it only got there for one second, yes, technically to be ultra conservative, that's where you need to go. But I do a lot of bear in the sous vide. And I'm just like, yeah. you, I can take it up to 140 and leave it there for half a day. And like, uh, I've looked into it. Nothing is surviving that type of heat for that time of time. So it's, I'm glad you brought that up because it's definitely twofold. It's temperature over time. Yes. You they may, they just make bear, it idiot proof. Perfect. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 165 is instant. So, I mean, there's no guesswork, but if you have a thermometer and you can get right to the core of that meat and okay, it's 140 and it's been there for 15 minutes, you know, 20 minutes, yeah. whatever, you know, don't take my advice, but you know, make sure, make sure you double check the times. But I mean, you don't have to cook bear to 165 to kill everything in it. No. You know? It's just going to be dried out and you're not going to enjoy it. You know, I mean, if it's a sausage or something like that, it's not a big deal. But I mean, if you're cooking steaks or, or something like that, you know, tenderloin, you want to have some juice still in there and you can, you know, bear is delicious when it's done right. But so many people just dry it right out. Yeah, I would, I would agree. Okay, so let's kind of start to wrap things up here. What's on what's on the books for you this year as far as hunts go? Uh, definitely getting out for spring bear. Probably a lot. I'm, I'm almost overbooked for spring bear. I'm going to get out um, definitely for some morel hunting and bring the bow just in case in, in mid yep. to late April. I'm not expecting to see many bears until, you know, early May. Um, me and a buddy are going to backpack into this mountain range, uh, an undisclosed location, um, for, for about four days, I think in early May, um, you know, probably just be a camping trip, but I mean, there's plenty of bears in there. So, I mean, yeah, good opportunity for both of us to pull out a bear. We're both just bringing our bows. So, uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Um, couple other spring bear hunts, um, probably do, a, a another mule deer hunt. I don't know if you caught the film I did with that older guy, uh, Brad, in yes. um in this fall uh yeah so he wants to get out for one last high country hunt um so yeah we're gonna give that a solid go see if we can get him a nice big muley um that'll be a rifle hunt but i'm always happy to to, to tag along and film and, and pack out some meat so let's uh, talk about yeah, that a little that, bit before we crazy. get off track actually walk yep. me through because you're one of the only not the only but you're one of the other guys i know that that tries to film on a pretty regular basis. So Mm -hmm. talk about that for a minute and kind of why you decided that was something you wanted to do. And, um, 
any any you know lessons that you've learned through that or 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 things that you appreciate about it yeah i don't know i had always been kind of interested in the film side of things and um that film photography they, they there's a lot of crossover there um I had broke my foot pretty bad about seven years ago and I had like three months of recovery time there where I was just, you know, sitting on the couch basically. And so I, uh, I realized there's lots of uh, seminars on YouTube about filmmaking and photography. So I just basically spent that entire recovery time, just, you know, studying up on it, you know, bought a camera and, and just started playing around. And yeah, when I started hunting, you know, I, I, people would ask me, Oh, how was your trip and stuff? And I'd have a couple photos or something like that, you know, maybe a, a video clip of something like that. But I was like, ah, like, let me start actually putting something together so that when people ask me, you know, I can actually say, Hey, well, here's a video of, of my trip, you know, knock yourself out. Right. Yeah. And, um, also I, I got into hunting at an interesting time. I believe it was the year I started that the grizzly hunt was banned. Um, and so I, I saw that kind of, you know, taken away from us with basically using, you know, emotional tactics and, and pulling on people's heartstrings to, to, to get them to vote a certain way. Right. And so I, I thought, you know, I'm not going to manipulate people's minds here, but I'm going to use the same tactics to, um, show that hunting can be a beneficial thing. And we're not just out killing stuff, you know? So I did kind of tap into the family side and I showed, you know, yeah, I bring my kid out with me and, you know, I'm teaching him, you know, not just how to hunt, but how to, how to, how to procure food and, and, you know, make sure that his family is taken care of if, you know, I mean the, the supermarket system and stuff, yeah, it's handy, but it's fragile. And I don't think people realize how fragile all this stuff is, you know, some look at what happened when COVID went down. I think that woke up a lot. Exactly. All of a sudden, exactly. Buy toilet paper, let alone, you know, meat. And it was like, I'm sitting here with 150 pounds in the freezer. Yeah. Like I'm good. I don't know about the rest of you idiots, but I think exactly. that was a big wake up call for a lot of people about, and I love the, the word you use there, how fragile that system, it appears to be strong and robust and redundant. It's not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was, uh, that was hilarious too. what people were buying too at that, at the beginning of that. It's like, you know, there I was thinking like, huh, okay, so what do I need to survive, you know, a month or whatever, if, if I have to at home, I don't need anything. I've got everything here. You know, the power goes out. I'm fine. You know, the, whatever the, the I've got food, I've got water, you know, I've got, I, I can purify water and go out and, and get more, you know, I, I'm good to go, you know, but then people are buying ice cream and toilet paper. And it's like, well, yeah. that's, that's going to get you a long way if we're really screwed here. And I mean, like, yeah. I was kind of looking at the situation and like, I mean, this is small potatoes, but like something real happens. Like, what are these people going to do? You know, like, I yeah. mean, it's, it's, it's nice to know that my son, you know, even though he's young, you know, he's light years ahead of all these people. Right. Yeah. So no, yeah, I think that's, a, I think that's with, a great with, point. Yeah. 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 I can really relate on the filmmaking too, because especially when you start getting into the solo stuff and the mountain stuff, the words just don't do it justice. Like if people ask me when I get back from one of these big trips and I'm like, man, I don't even, I, I, there's no point even really talking about this because words are just such a useless mechanism for me to try to describe what it was like. But then, and especially now that I'm getting a bit more articulate with my filmmaking, I just think it does such a better job at conveying like the sentiment and the experience uh, I think it's the be- and it's not perfect, but I think it's the best medium for 
conveying what the experience is like to people who didn't have the opportunity to actually be there. For sure. Yeah. The human memory sucks too. Like I can't count how many times someone says, Oh, how was your hunt? And I'll tell them maybe three little highlights or something like that. And then later I'm thinking like, wait, I forgot to tell them like, this was the best part, man. And then this happened too. I fell on my face and busted my camera (laughs) whatever, you know, it's like the stuff that actually is. And, and I can see in your videos too, when you're solo and you're talking to the camera, like I'm sure you can relate. It's like, Otherwise, you're just sitting there with your thoughts, you know, like it's yeah. a distraction. Like when you're out there for four or five days solo, like you start thinking about the, the most bizarre stuff, you know, arguments that you had six, seven years ago with somebody. And it's like, yep. this was not a big deal at all, but obviously it's still in my head. So, you know, there, there's something there. And it's like, that's why I like going out and, 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 you know, exposing myself to that aloneness so you can actually process all those thoughts, but it can get overwhelming. And it's nice to have, you know, a camera to talk to, even if it's just, you know, everyone has whoever they're visualizing, you know, a lot of the time I'm just picturing them, I'm telling my kid how my day was or whatever. Right. But, um, yeah, it, it goes a long way at the end of the day when you're trying to talk yourself off the mountain and it's like, no, I can, I can just go over my day and then go over what I'm going to do tomorrow and then go to sleep. And then that's it. Tomorrow's a new day, right? It keeps you out yeah. there longer. I think the other thing that I just realized too, is I used to be a lot more depressed when I came home from a failed hunt, but now when I'm coming home and I have a film to edit and post, even of a failed hunt, mm-hmm. I feel like I still did something productive. Like, okay, I wasn't yep. able to kill an animal, but I made this really cool thing that based on people's feedback, other people really like. And I know it's a bit of a distraction from the fact that I still failed at the mission I had in front of me, but I found that emotionally, I, it's just much easier for me to like come down from a hunt now that I've got a film to come back and edit as well. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome, man. So listen, I really appreciate your approach to hunting. So how can people kind of find you, follow you, where's your kind of content and yeah, let's kind of wrap things up. So I think I'm pretty much everything. I'm just backcountry bloodline, YouTube, backcountry bloodline, um, Instagram, backcountry bloodline. I'm not heavy on the social media. I kind of, you know, during, during the off season, I almost disappear because I'm not one of those guys that'll post 50 angles in my, my kill or whatever, you know, in the off season. But um, yeah, during hunting season, you know, I'm, I'm filming, I'm, I'm taking photos out there and stuff. So yeah, when, when it's hunting season, I'm alive and, and popping on there. But this time of year, things get slow. I'm just tuning my bow and, and, and doing blank bail and all the boring stuff that comes with hunting. Yeah, the important stuff, though. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. The, yeah. I mean, that's the thing that the kill shot is, is but a second of the season, wow. you know, it's such a small part. And it's funny when people kind of boil it down to like, oh, that's why you hunt just to kill something. And it's like, well, that's like the smallest part of it. It's yeah. a, a minutia of the, of the whole thing, you know? Yeah. But yeah. yeah. Well, that's awesome, man. Thank you very much for your time for everybody listening. Thank you for tuning in. As always, likes, comments, shares, subscribes, greatly appreciated, and we'll see you next week.